Hi, welcome to the Freudcast. The definition of hope is an optimistic state of mind based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events in the world at large, to paraphrase Wikipedia. It's not that long ago, though, that many were not hopeful for the future of our coral reefs. Now Mars and its brand Sheba are trying to turn things around with their Hope Reef project, which is restoring the coral reef off the coast of Indonesia. As Marine Science Officer at Mars Sustainable Solutions, Dr Tim Gordon is deeply involved. For this episode, he spoke to Freud's James Mercer and began by describing why reefs are just so important for our planet. Coral reefs are these, they're astonishing ecosystems. So this amazing underwater world, uh, which has is probably the most diverse of, of all the natural ecosystems in the world. It's just this stunning number of animals. When you put your head underwater, you jump off the boat and you go swimming on a coral reef. It just just like shapes and colours and sounds and everything just hits you. It's, it's overwhelming. And because they're so biodiverse like that, they're really productive and really valuable ecosystems. As of our hundreds of millions of people around the world in the tropics where we have coral reefs, uh, they're providing fish and providing food for people. And as well as that, they're providing income because there's all sorts of other ways you can benefit from a reef, not just by eating the stuff off it, right? Like our reefs are part of wider ecological cycles that drive other systems as well. Um, and then there's a big storm protection benefit as well, is in a way that reefs are really important for, for people around the tropics. So coral reefs, because they grow on the shores of these islands, uh, they they dissipate the energy from waves and, and they stop these massive tropical cyclones and massive storms coming in and, and smashing uh, coastal communities and houses because the reef sort of acts like a natural storm defense. It, it takes the hit out of the storm and, and protects the houses behind it. So what's the state of coral reefs at this point in time? Like, um, how are they being affected? Yeah, I mean, co- coral reefs are, um, are being devastated around the world, to be honest. Wow. The, the magnitude of the threats is more than we've ever seen in history. Um, they're, they're more threatened now than than ever before. Uh, and there's a bunch of things behind that. The one a lot of people have heard about is climate change, uh, and rightly so. That's probably the biggest threat to reefs worldwide as, as temperatures are warming. Uh, they're warming faster than the coral is able to keep up with. The coral isn't adapted to those temperatures. And when you get a rise in temperature, it starts to expel the algae that it needs to survive. It hosts this algae inside the coral. When it gets too hot, that relationship breaks down. The coral then can't get any food uh, and eventually it dies. And then when the coral dies, the whole reef starts to fall apart because the coral is like the the cornerstone of the whole ecosystem. So climate change is a big issue, but there's also lots of um, more local threats. So in specific areas. So if you overfish a reef, then you start to throw the whole ecosystem out of whack. Uh, And so that, you know, overfishing is a big threat to some reefs. Nutrient pollution is another big threat. You know, we're seeing... um, runoff from agriculture or industry pollutes the water uh, and then the coral really doesn't like that starts to struggle mm. so um before we even get to the solutions actually i'd like to ask where in the world are coral reefs found um is it is it just only in like tropical countries it could be found it's all yeah yeah so, so so reefs are what we call pan-tropical and that means wherever it's tropical we'll find a reef uh, and re- reefs around the world are quite different. So a reef that you find like in the tropical Caribbean uh, is quite different from a reef that you find, say, in tropical Indonesia 
or Kenya or Australia or somewhere. But but all around that, you know, if you to to, to run a muck on the equator, um, you you can find reefs anywhere uh, in that in that central tropical region. I can imagine that you've travelled quite a bit as well and um, seen quite a, a few. Um, what would be some of the best that you say that you've come across? Yeah, I mean, I mean, reefs around the world are very different. Um, I, I will always remember the first reef that I saw, the first reef I worked on. That was off the coast of Kenya. Um, and yeah, it's just, just that sensation. When what, what city? Was it that Mombasa? Yeah, near, near Mombasa, a little bit north of Mombasa, a little place called Watamu. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, it's a, a beautiful reef. And I'd, I'd, I'd studied them, you know, at school and at university and sit in your lecture theatre, you know, noting down <laughs> the paper and, you know, listening to these lectures and copying down the slides and it doesn't really come to life. And then, you know, and then I went and did my first research project on a natural reef and you, you put your face in the water and suddenly all makes sense in a whole new way, you know, like it just gets completely brought to life. And you, that must have been quite see, surreal. Yeah, yeah. J- just the, the, it's like a joyful chaos you know <laughs> like there's just so many animals so much diversity so much shape and color and life all just like you know within a couple of meters of you and swimming around you and buzzing around your head and yeah it's, it's, it's chaos people people call them the the underwater cities you know oh wow it's, it's quite a good metaphor that because it's like atlantis it's, you know you jump off the boat and you go down and it's like being parachuted into the middle of new york or something <laughs> Can you tell us about the Hope Reef and um, your involvement in this project? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the most exciting projects I've ever been involved with. It, it, it really is. It's the world's biggest coral reef restoration program. And it's a, a commitment and a campaign from Sheba, the, the cat food brand, um, to over the next 10 years to restore 185,000 square meters of coral reef in lots of key strategic locations around the world. So what we've done uh, this year and last year is they've started that by rebuilding a reef in in, in central Indonesia. Uh, symbolically, they've built the reef in the shape of the word hope, the letters H-O-P-E. And over the next 10 years, they'll be filling in the gaps of that word and extending it uh, far, far across the rubble field that they're building on there. Uh, and for me, what's really exciting about this project is is both the scale of what's been pledged uh, but also the, the people who are involved. So it, it's a campaign that's led by the Sheba brand uh, and it involves uh, well-established conservation organisations. So the Nature Conservancy are playing a big role. It involves local communities on all of the sites that we're going to be building reefs on uh, who are actively participating in the decision making and, and the, um, the active restoration itself. Uh, involves an international team of scientists specialising in lots of different subject areas related to coral reefs all around the world. It's, it feels like this, this really big inclusive team effort. It's, it's almost like you sort of, you know, brought together the A-team of coral reef restoration. <laughs> it feels like there's a whole a whole world of possibility, you know. The coral, coral reef Avengers. Yeah, <laughs> Avengers <laughs> Assemble, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so how has this team even brought together? Like, um, how does this project even come together? Because when you think about Sheba, you don't automatically think, how did it actually happen? Sure, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's been a journey that's been evolving over the last decade, um, to be honest with you. So Sheba are part of the Mars Incorporated group, Um Sheba as a brand are particularly reliant on fish because it, it goes into a lot of their products. 
And so ocean sustainability is something that's very uh, important, very parts of that particular brand. Uh, and Mars Incorporated are, are a family run business still. Um, and as part of their sustainable in a generation plan, um, they've got big investments into um, sustainability and, and the way that we do business as a whole. So the, the sort of logo of the whole business is um, the world we want tomorrow starts with the way we do business today. And, and I think this really speaks to the ethos of that um, wider commitment to doing business in a way that protects the planet and protects people for generations to come. So I've heard about this uh, reef star technology. Um, can you tell me more about this? Yeah, the the, the reef star is uh, is the centre really of the method. It's the the hero of the method that we use and um, for this restoration. Mm. So we'll, we'll choose sites very carefully based on the history of the site and the local <laughs> ecology and geography, and work with the local community at the site. Um, and then once we've picked where we're going to establish this restoration, we bring in this reef star. And what it is, is it's a hexagonal metal frame, right? It's like this steel structure with six legs. Uh, and we cover it with sticky resin. And then on that sticky resin, we'll put coral sand. That's a natural substrate material that is animals to settle. Um, you know, it, it makes it less of an artificial structure. Mm. And then we'll tie little fragments of coral all over the legs of this reef star and we plant it on the seabed. And the beauty of it is because they're all neat little hexagons, they all fit together. So you can put hundreds of these reef stars out in this like network that stretches across the seabed yeah. uh, and you can put them out really, really quickly. So, you know, put hundreds of them out in a day. You can, you know, in a day with a, a small team of people, you can build a, like a basketball court sized area of reef. You're using these reef stars you know, building blocks and, and yeah, you can build reefs around uh, any obstacles that are in the way to, to fit in with any existing reef or in the case of Hope Reef, build it into a custom shape if you want. So they're perfect little building blocks uh, for, for making reefs. It creates conditions that allow the coral to settle and to grow really, really well, better than anything I've ever seen before. And that's because it slightly lifts it off the seabed. It's really good for the coral because it means that any rocks or any rubble that are washing around on the seabed aren't going to smack into the coral and kill it. Um, it means it's up just where there's a little bit more water flow, a little bit more light, just the right amount of nutrients. And it's like coral reefs on steroids or something. Like those corals just grow really fast, really well, uh, and can re-establish coral cover and get the reef recovering in really encouragingly quick time. So we're seeing after two or three years in some places, we can't even see the metal structures anymore. It's just coral completely covering, completely dwarfing the entire thing wow. that we built. That's two or three years, you said, just to be clear. Yeah, it's astonishing. It, it's it's way quicker than we've seen before uh, or that we sort of even dared to dream of, you know, back at the start of the program before we saw these results coming in. And and what it is, is the, the positioning of that coral in the water, the stabilisation of the seabed creates the perfect conditions for coral growth that's a that's, that's very impressive to say to say the least so yeah how, do, how about you, you can go and see the pictures actually that they're really quite astonishing so you can you know you can go on the the website if you put sheba hope grows into google it'll pop up uh there's there's youtube videos um there's sort of before and after pictures and little sliders you can pull across the screen to see the difference um but in buildingcoral.com as well there's more pictures on that one 
And yeah, you, you can see for yourself, it, it's just amazing that the transformation. It's a, a really encouraging thing to see. You watch this, you know, barren, desolate, grey rubble field of two or three years be transformed into a reef come back to life and all the colour and life and vibrancy uh, that, that we all associate with what a coral reef should be like. Do you, is it a kind of thing that you go from one place, then that's completely changed, you go to another place and that's completely changed. It's just a cycle across all the different places you go to, um, for whether you're starting it or whether you're in the middle of um, the growth of a, of a coral reef. We've been working in central Indonesia for, for ages with, with this program, right? Um, probably about 10 years now. Um, and so we've seen lots of individual reefs around that area um, d- develop uh, additional um, sort of patches of reef stars being deployed at different times, growing. And we've got a real good understanding there of the rates of growth that we expect in different contexts. Okay. We're now starting as well to, to plant reefs in lots of other places around the world. And those projects are, are newer, um, they're, they're more in their infancy. And so it's more of an unknown in those other locations. Um, what we're gonna see, you know, what we find out, we may find out that there's geographical differences in the way we do things. You know, it's, it's better to use this method on these reefs because they're slightly different. Uh, or we may find that actually, no, that transfers straight over. We just do the same thing in Indonesia as, you know, the Maldives, the Caribbean, Australia, wherever we're going. Uh, and that, for me, is part of the excitement of the challenge. It's, it's part of what we need to discover. One of the one of our sort of key challenges for this decade project of building reefs around the world is working out what techniques are going to work everywhere, and where are we going to need to use little local strategies and local tactics for for the unique challenges that this particular reef poses to us. I heard you mention um, that local challenges and local stuff. Do you work? locally with the people um, within those areas to be able to do this yeah absolutely and that that's key um that that's absolutely central to everything we do um and the way we operate in this and the, it, it's that mixture of getting the global perspective and getting a really big brand involved um and and having big global aims and global connections with at each local site working with local people being community driven understanding the nuance both socially and the um with the people who own the reef and benefit from the reef and work on the reef and work with us to restore the reef and then also the local ecology you know and the um the particular geographical nuances the unique set of animals that happen to live on that reef and so it's it's holding those two things in in your hand at the same time, I think, is the secret to success. You know, having a, a global vision, but a local approach might be the way to talk about it. I think that statement in itself is a is, is a slogan that could be used. The global vision, the local <laughs> approach. I like that. I really like that. Thinking about a global company, Mars, how is it like doing what you do, being a, a scientist working at Mars? Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I enjoy it because I find it to be very dynamic um, atmosphere. Uh, I find it to be an organisation that um, has the capacity and the experience to get things done in a way that is is quite new to me and quite refreshing to me, to be honest, as a scientist, because we're, you know, traditionally scientists, I think, often are perceived as being a little bit um, distant, maybe. 
uh, a little bit disconnected, you know, he's sitting in university, don't really know what's going on with the world, um, you know. Yeah. Funky hair and a tie and a, <laughs> not really in any lab coat. the world's actually coat. like. Yeah, you've got to have a lab coat, right, and a pipette. But no, I, th- I think what we're seeing with this project and with others like it around the world is quite an exciting direction for sustainability and for, for nature, um, conservation and restoration. And it's the way we need to go. Because actually, if we're to be successful, everybody has to be involved. You know, this is not a it's a problem that's so big that it can't be solved just by scientists or just by local communities or even just by business. You know, actually, we need business to work with local communities, with scientists, with government, with everybody in the public. Um, and that's the way we're together. So. So yeah, sure. That, that there's entertaining moments. There's there's moments when you know, as a scientist working in a business, like you know, I'll see some email chain. I don't even know what half the words mean. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure there's moments when I'm talking to business people and they're like, "What is this guy going on about?" <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's part of the fun of it, and and that I think is is increasingly we're going to see it is going to be the secret to success, I think, um, with, with the way the world's going and the way the world works at the moment. I heard you mentioning that everybody needs to come together to be able to make sure that um, this problem can be solved. And you also mentioned how coral reefs are so many different parts and there's so many different um, animals and like, fish and, and plants and just life. So what do you think human beings can learn from coral reefs in that case yeah i love that question the, the reefs are a metaphor for that they're teaching us how we need to work to rebuild them i love that idea <laughs> I, guess so. I guess so especially after covid yeah absolutely absolutely but but it's true isn't it the, the you know the what we marvel at in a coral reef is the diversity and the intricacy of it and how everything is is interlinked and interwoven and if you knock one thing out of kilter actually the whole thing starts to wobble because everything's so tightly meshed together in how it works and i think actually yeah as you say that is a it's a good way to see the world and and human society as well because it's going to be impossible i think for us to solve any single one of the world's environmental challenges in isolation because they're all connected, you know, you won't be able to successfully restore the world's coral reefs if you don't also address climate change. And if you don't also take seriously water pollution and overfishing, right? Uh, and going wider than that as well, societal challenges um, and difficulties. So actually, you have to get right to the root of the problem. And you have to empower all sectors and all members of society. You can't have this just being driven by one group of people. You you have to address poverty and inequality and all the different forms that that takes. And so, I mean, it sounds really cheesy, but, you know, if you, if you want to save the world, you've got to save the world, you know. <laughs> you can't just address the issues one at a time. And that is part of the difficulty, but it's also part of the, the reason why collaboration is, is going to be so key we're going to get these issues right as a society so what can we expect to um to see from this project um how what do we expect what, what can we expect in terms of the, the growth and, and and how is it going right now how's the story yeah what can we expect is is a great question um and it's uh it's the question that's keeping us all excited to be honest this is the one we want to l- launch into um the, the slogan of the whole sheba campaign is hope grows right Okay. And I think that is a well-chosen slogan because I think that's what we are going to see 
over the years. You know, already um, there's an element of hope in that the, the reefs that we have built already, we're seeing astonishing coral growth, we're seeing the fish come back, we're seeing turtles and sharks, we're seeing the whole ecosystem start to come together and create a thriving reef. And we're seeing engagement and benefit for local communities. And then we're looking forward and thinking, well, hang on, we've done that on these small number of reefs. You know, actually, we're going to outplant these projects in every tropical ocean around the world. Imagine what that's going to be like. And then you start to imagine. And then when we've done that, you imagine all these other people looking in and, and coming in and hearing about the project and saying, hey, we want to collaborate with that. Hey, we want to do something similar to that. You know, hey, if they can do that on those reefs, can we go and do it on these other reefs somewhere else or and we do that in, I don't know, seagrass beds, oyster beds, you know, terrestrial ecosystems as well. And and I think for, for me, the, the real excitement is this sense that this could create uh, a movement um, and a sort of could almost make people see that it's possible to use the power of a global brand like Sheba to to push and to create change on a global scale. Mm. I think that's one of the most exciting prospects for me moving forward with this i think that's um i think i think that's quite an interesting initiative especially as you explain the ecosystem earlier on and as to how much it actually makes perfect sense um however there's one thing that you did actually mention earlier that really caught me and it caught my eye was the beauty of um actually being there to see an actual coral reef of your own two eyes and the difference it was between you studying it and actually seeing it in person. Um, with the rise and the in, in increase of coral reefs that will be around, do you think um, a threat, are us as human beings um, visiting these things a lot? Um, can that potentially be a threat? Yeah, it, it, it depends how we do that. You know, um, there are examples in the past of where tourism has has caused real damage to reefs that, that's true um yeah you know and um and there's a, a range of ways that happens that happens either by you know physical damage to the reef itself so you, you know boats dropping out the reefs people kicking the reefs grabbing bits of the reefs pulling it apart you know or, or, or else through the wider impacts of tourism so so we know that tourism when it's done badly can create a real strain on local economies can create can generate a lot of inequality uh, in the way that um, that tourism is managed, um, can generate pollution. Um, and so locally, um, I think those impacts need to be managed and we need to, to, to show people reefs in a way that doesn't harm the reefs. But also I think there, there can also be great benefits from, from showing people reefs and, and that's creating opportunities for people to go and see reefs themselves. And then also with the rising technology, you know, you, you've seen the documentaries on TV, you've seen virtual reality, you know, the, these um, interactive experiences get better and better uh, and people can see more and more of the magic of reefs from their own living room. Um, and so that, I think, has a role to play as well. And um, both showing people reefs in the flesh and also introducing people to reefs in the comfort of their own homes, I think it can be a really powerful tool for encouraging people to um, engage with issues of sustainability, of, of issues of the planet's future and ultimately all our own futures as well. So I think reefs have a real powerful story to tell and a, a narrative to play in those discussions too. So um, you mentioned climate change um, 
I suppose there's many other things that people are having conversations about, whether it's climate change, whether it's plastics, um, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, what are some of the things that we can do to help just us on a day to day? And what can we do and be mindful of to make sure that we're not um, uh, part of the problem? Yeah, absolutely. It's important to be thinking about, isn't it? And one thing I heard um, I heard somebody say recently um, was very wise, actually, was that the, the single biggest thing we can all do to help the environment is to talk about it. And on, on the one hand, that sounds a little bit glib, right? It, it sounds a bit like, yeah, all right, what's talking about you're going to do? You know, I've got a big problem on my doorstep here. But But on the other hand, I think that's the most important thing because for too long, environmental concern has been seen to be a bit of a niche interest, to be quite frank with you, you know? You're a bit of a tree hugging weirdo, right? If you, you know, if you're genuinely concerned about it, you know, like, yeah. you know, all the names that everyone's been called <laughs> over the last 10 years for wanting to recycle their plastic bottles, you know, and all this. And yeah. actually, if conversations around this stuff is normalized and, and, and it becomes more and more and more mainstream, as we're seeing it is already, which is encouraging, I think that that groundswell level of pressure is going to create a global movement where it's just going to be impossible for big business and for big government and for, um, you know, the powers that be in this world to ignore that. You know, it's the sort of power of the consumer, isn't it, in that sense? Um, and, and channeling individual power in that way, uh, I, I think, is the way to go. Um, this campaign actually has a lovely example of that um, in that the, the video at the center of the Sheba brand campaign, um, it's, you can find it on Google. It's the the film that grows coral, it's called. And what it is, is it's a, a little 90 second summary video of this restoration that's on YouTube. Uh, and for the first time ever, all of the advertising revenue from that video, whenever it gets watched, um, goes straight to the Nature Conservancy and gets fed into coral reef restoration programs around the world. Oh, wow. so it's a nice example of how the actions of individuals, you know, that, that might seem meaningless on the surface of it, you know, like you you recycle one bottle, you, you know, swap your energy your light bulbs out for eco-friendly ones, you watch a video on YouTube, you know, whatever, it seems small. And yet it creates pressure when everybody does that stuff. It creates a societal norm and, and creates um, consumer pressure, political pressure that actually, no, this is how we want the world to be now. You know, we, we all want to behave in ways. We all want to create um, societal change in ways that are going to make a planet that, that works for, for nature and for people going forward. Thanks to Tim and James for that fascinating chat. And do check out the Hope Reef online. It's an incredible project. You can also keep up to date on the Freudcast and everything else Freud is up to by following us on LinkedIn or at Inside Freud's on Instagram. I'm Matt Barbet. Bye for now.